the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you. Find the real life you were created for and find it in the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series called Better Together. It's all about community and more specifically being in church. We just happen to recommend River City Community Church because it's not all about the worship and the message. Pastor Sean will point out the relationships and friendships waiting for you in church is part of not just a healthy church, it's good for your health. Reachingforreallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reachingforreallife.org. Today it's part one of the message called, Who Needs the Church? Pastor Sean will teach from Matthew 16 and the second chapter of Acts. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. Well, we're in the middle of this series called Better Together. What we've seen is God created us for community. He created us for relationships. It's the most important thing. And yet something in us, for whatever reason, sometimes struggles with that. And actually will sometimes be drawn to isolation. And that's not what God made us for. And it's not what we're designed for. Well, today the question we want to deal with is who needs the church? Who needs the church? Because that's a question a lot of people are asking. Really, it's one of these things that, that more and more in recent years, believers are saying, well, what's the, do we need to do the church? I, I, I love God and I want to follow him, but I, I don't know about the whole church thing. I had a friend uh, a number of years ago, his name is Doug, and he uh, was going to a church, a good church, and he was an active part. He volunteered, served, his family was involved, and something happened. He got offended by something or someone, took an offense at something, and he and his family said, well, we're not going to do this anymore, and they kind of dropped out. They dropped out. And what happened is his kids continued in activities. There were drama, sports, things like that, different things that they were involved in, but they were shocked to find out that as they were raised and church was not a part of their life, that when their kids went off to college, it wasn't that big a part of their lives. And it was like, well, what did you expect? Doug's wife ended up getting involved with someone at work, and after struggle back and forth, they ended up getting divorced. And now Doug, who walked away and said, I don't really need the church, is sitting here going, what happened? Now, understand something. I'm not saying that those kind of things can't happen to people who are a part of a life-giving, vibrant church. I'm just saying it's a lot harder. When there's a community of people around you supporting you in the raising of your kids supporting you in your marriage when there's people who are there to spot issues earlier and who want to encourage you in the healthy things of life in your parenting in your marriage in your family it's a powerful powerful thing and i wish i could say it's just a few people who are kind of taking this tack taking this approach but it's not it's expanding more and more people saying well who needs the church anyway in fact, this year, earlier this year, in April, Gallup News came out with a report based on a Gallup poll that was done. 
We read this, Gallup finds the percentage of Americans who report belonging to a church, a synagogue, or a mosque at an all-time low, averaging 50% in 2018. Well, of course, in previous years, church membership in the U.S. was 70% or higher from 1937 all the way up to 1976. After the mid-70s, it fell just a little bit to 68% all the way into the 90s. But the past 20 years have seen an incredible acceleration of the drop-off rate with a 20 percentage point decline since 1999. More than half of that just in the last start, occurring since the start of the current decade. The decline in church membership reflects mostly the fact that fewer Americans than in the past now claim to have any religious affiliation. We refer to them as the nuns, you know, when they check religious affiliation, none. However, and this is where I want to center on this morning, even those who do identify with a particular religion or faith are less likely to belong to a church or other place of worship than in the past. Yes, there's been a steep increase in the proportion of Americans who do not have a religious attachment. And they still, in spite of that, they remain remain a small minority of the U.S. population. Three-quarter of Americans, 77%, still identify with some type of organized religion. That's down from 90% in 1988 to 2000. But that still sizable proportion of religious Americans also contribute to the decline in church membership, as fewer in this group, and this is the one I want to focus on, belong to churches than did so two decades ago. At the turn of the century, we're talking 2000, right? 73% of U.S. adults with a religious preference belong to a church compared with 64% today. So people who said, yeah, I have a faith. And the vast majority of these are Christians that they're talking about. 73% used to, and today 64% who say, yes, I am a Christian, I have a faith, belong to some type of church. Older Americans are far more likely than younger adults to be members of churches. However, church membership has dropped among all the generational groups over the past two decades, with a decline of roughly 10% percentage points among traditionalists, baby boomers, and Gen X. Most millennials, who were too young to be polled in 98-2000, now they've reached adulthood, their church membership rates are exceedingly low and appear to be a major factor in the drop overall of U.S. church membership. Just 42% of millennials are members of churches by, on average. By comparison, 20 years ago, 62% of the Gen Xers belonged to a church when they were about the same age as millennials today. And what's interesting is not only are millennials less likely than older adults to identify with a religion, but millennials who are religious. Again, these are millennials who say, yes, I have a faith. They are religious, are significantly less likely to belong to a church. 57% of religious millennials belong to a church, compared with 65% or more in older generations. Barna did a study in 2017 called, and the title of it was, Well, I Love Jesus, But I Don't Know About the Church. But I don't love the church. And there's lots of things that contribute to this. I think there's a general distrust of institutions. There's, there's all kinds of reasons for this. But I want to suggest this is one of those things that is really damaging people's faith. I think there's this false idea that says, you know what, I can fully follow Jesus and be a fully committed follower of Christ without being part of the church. I want to look at some scriptures today that suggest that is absolutely wrong. Now, you're going to recognize and identify this morning that I'm kind of preaching to the choir. Because where are you right now? Okay? But yet we're all affected by these attitudes. We are. And I want us, my hope is that through the course of what we look at in the scriptures today, every one of us will maybe sit up a little straighter and recognize what we're a part of. 
recognize what God's called us to and be able to be a voice for and for lack of a better term, a cheerleader of what God is doing and wants to do through his church here in this area as well as around the world. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16 because this is really the first time we see this idea of the church presented. Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples and we're told, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that was a reference he used to himself. <clears throat> In other words, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And it's, it's kind of interesting uh, because if, you know, maybe you or I walked around all our friends, hey, what are people saying about me? What's the, what's the buzz on the street about me? They might say, dude, nobody's talking about you but you, right? But that wasn't the case with Jesus. The fact is, with Jesus, there were a lot of people. Everybody seemed to have an opinion. Look what they tell him. They said, some say, well, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Either John the Baptist brought back from the dead, Elijah returned, or maybe even Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And then he said to them, and this is the most important question any of us are ever going to have to deal with, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? But Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus literally at this point renames him. His name is Simon. But he gives him this other name, Peter, which means the rock. Although it's interesting, it actually was probably better translated stone, a piece of this big rock. These two words are different. You are Peter, and on this rock, you are a stone that is a part of this rock. And on this rock, the rock of your confession, this reality that you have been, had revealed to you by my Father, I will build my church. Who's going to build the church? Jesus. Whose church is it? Jesus' church. By the way, I'm talking to you guys here in front of me. I just <laughs> Help me out. Well, let's, let's do this together, shall we? I will build my church in Jesus. I get nervous when people go, well, oh, we're going to go over to, to your church, Sean. Or where do you go to church? Oh, I, I go to church. I, I, go to, I go to this one's church. Or I go to that one's church. And they name the pastor. Or even when they say, you know, I understand that if you bring a guest, they might say, well, I'm going to go to my friend's church. As long as we all understand, wait a minute. It's Jesus' church. It belongs to him. He said he would build it. It is something that he came up with. That's what the church is. It's not something we came up with, something he came up with, and it is his. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a really interesting phrase. Because sometimes I think we in church, sometimes think we're going to come in here and the hell is on the outside and we're going to protect ourselves from hell because the gates of hell are coming after us. I've never seen someone use gates as an offensive weapon. You ever seen an army attack others with gates? Get away, you. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. The idea here is we are the attackers. We're on the offensive. We're the ones who are going after hell. And here's the deal. All hell has is stolen property. And what we're talking about is people's lives. What are the gates of hell holding in? People. People who God created for something beautiful, people who God loves passionately, people who he has a destiny and a vision for, and who, because of sin, because of brokenness, because of just the stuff of the world, are missing out on what God has. And he said, my church 
my church will go on the offensive and will take back what has been lost because of the gates of hell. And the gates of hell will not be able to stand against the power of my church. That's what Jesus is saying. And we want to take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Who Needs the Church? in the series Better Together, which is available right now on the sermon page at reachingforreallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. And in fact, your gift of any amount will get you the latest book from Pastor Sean Azaro. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast Podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, Who Needs the Church? This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. And he goes on. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Let me pray for us. Lord, the word church just brings up so many images in our minds and different people, different images. I pray that all those we'd put aside right now and, and we'd get your image. What do you think the church is, Lord? What did you, as the designer, as the founder, what did you intend? And help us to align with the reality of who you are, not try to fit you into what we want to be. You're our king, you're our Lord, and we're your church. In Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, the word church there is the Greek word ekklesia. And it's kind of an odd word to be used. It's not a typical word that you would use in religious circles. It means the citizens, like the voting citizens of a township or of a community. So when when they heard this, remember, they didn't know the word church. They didn't have any images at all. This word didn't mean church as we understand it. It meant, I will build my community, my citizenry, my kingdom, if you will. But he's talking about the people. Very specifically. That's what I'm going to do. They will be mine, and they will be a powerful force that even hell can't stand against. Now, what's interesting, Jesus now, we're looking back on the church, and he's actually done this. They're not. They're hearing this for the first time. It's like, how are you going to do this? Well, we know how he did. How did Jesus actually build the church? Well, let's take a look. In Acts chapter 2, most scholars would agree this is the beginning of the church. It's the day of Pentecost. You remember Jesus told his disciples, go to Jerusalem, wait there. For what? Wait for the Spirit. How long? He didn't tell them. They just went, the believers, and they started praying together. And waiting for whatever it was. They didn't really know exactly what it was going to be like. Well, here's what happened. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Can you imagine 
they're praying together, they're fellowshipping together, and all of a sudden, it's almost as though the room begins to rumble. And the sound of a wind just begins to fill the room, but the weather hasn't changed outside. It's not all. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Just picture that. They're praying. They're together. And the sound begins to happen. And all of a sudden, these images of fire. And we're told, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. These tongues of fire, I wonder, because it goes right on to say, and they were filled with the Spirit. I wonder if these tongues of fire almost stopped to rest on them and then almost as though it went into them. Because remember what John the Baptist said when he was talking about Jesus? He said, I baptize you with water, but one's coming after me who's greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to latch his sandals. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and fire. Fire, the consuming, purifying, cleansing, powerful fire. I find it fascinating. These tongues of fire accompanied the infilling of the Spirit, just like John said it would. The Holy Spirit and fire. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, what's fascinating about this, that word spirit, do you know it's the same word as the word, it's the word pneuma in the Greek. It's the same word as wind. It's the same word as breath. The wind or the breath. We find this in John chapter 3. Remember Nicodemus, a religious leader, comes to Jesus at night, and he's not even sure why he's coming to him. He just knows he's fascinated with Jesus. He comes, and before he even gets to ask a question, Jesus says, yeah, anyone who wants to become part of the kingdom must be born again. And we're like, ah, yes, we're very familiar. We understand born again. Yeah, Nicodemus didn't. Nicodemus had never heard this concept. It just sounded weird. I mean, really, think about it. You know, if you'd never heard the phrase, if we didn't have the religious idea of being born again and that understanding of salvation, that understanding of the Christian church, if first time Nicodemus is hearing, you must be born again. And so Nicodemus says to him, what, like, like go back into my mother and you know, do that again? Because that just seems hard, Jesus. You know, we, we see it, we, we're very spiritual. Oh, yes, it's a very spiritual concept. Nicodemus didn't. He heard it as the weird, kind of shocking, kind of, boy, I don't get it, statement that it really was. Born again, just go back and, to my mother and be born again. And that's when Jesus said, no, no, no. Everyone must be born of water, that's the natural birth, and of the spirit, the pneuma, the wind, the breath. And, and Nicodemus like, well, he doesn't understand and Jesus starts talking about the wind to help him understand. He says, well, you, the wind, you don't see where it comes from or where it's going. You can't see it, but you see what it does. You know about the wind. He says, that's what it's like with the Spirit. And he's telling them this born-again experience is a birth of the Spirit. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. Fascinating idea. The birth of the Spirit. See, the reality is this is how Jesus built the church. This is the start of the church. He didn't go and say, here's a charter, here's some bylaws, and you guys will vote you know, twice a year, and here's how you're going to do it. No, what he did is said, you know how I'm going to build the church? I'm going to put my actual spirit into people. The people who repent of their sins, who come to me, and who invite me into their lives, I'm going to fill them with my spirit. Look, look at the language that Paul uses when he describes Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. He says he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, look at this, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. The church, which is his body. You want to know what's fascinating? In a literary sense, this is a metaphor. It's a picture. Oh, we're not really his body. It's a picture. He's using that to describe something. In a, in a literary sense, that might be true. In a theological sense, that's not true. This is literal because his spirit dwells us. We literally are the body of his spirit moving, acting, operating in the world. That's why we're called his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Later in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, he says, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is what we're a part of in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. By what? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. This is how he chose to do it. He said, I will build my church. This was his strategy. This was his methodology. I will fill them with my Spirit, and they will become my body in the world. They will be that manifest picture that of my presence all throughout the world i want to if you're taking notes i want to say this is our main point this morning write it down the embodiment of the gospel is the community called the church see the embodiment of the gospel is the community called the church the gospel isn't just these abstract ideas no no there is a something happening god is redeeming real people filling them with his spirit forgiving their sins setting them free and those those people are called the church that's who we are the fact is, and we've just got to deal with this, you talk about the church out in the world, or even in this room, and all kinds of different pictures come into people's mind. Oh, the church. Some are positive, some, eh. Oh, I went to church as a kid. I hated it. Oh, God, church people, I knew they were mean. Or I got hurt at a church one time. And all these pictures and images of the church come up. And we've got to be honest that in the name of the church... I say that very carefully. In the name of the church, some people have done some really bad things throughout history. And that's just true. Now, also understand, um, completely secular, godless people have done some really bad things in history. Right? The communists and the Soviets who took over all of Eastern Europe did some horrible atrocities throughout Eastern Europe under the Soviet Union, and they were very much atheist and anti-church. So I don't think any particular part of people has a corner on that. And, and I, I mean that in the name of the church, some people have done some really bad things. In fairness and for the sake of balance, in the name of the church, some people have done some really wonderful charitable things too. But here's the deal. Just because it is true that there have been some bad things done in the name of church, we don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. We don't throw this idea out. There's a whole lot of things that are messed up about God's intended design for family, but we don't give up on the design. And I think a lot of believers, even, a lot of believers are saying, ah, I don't know about the church. And they use the, the organized church. Well, that should be a comfort to you. We're very disorganized around here. That should give you a lot of comfort. You tell people, oh, I'm not part of the organized church. I go to River City. We're very disorganized. If it helps, we're, we're here to serve. We're serving you. I'm kidding. But the fact is the embodiment of the gospel is this community called the church. And I want to share five really key core understandings regarding the church that I think will help us see a little bit of this. 
First, the church was God's idea from the beginning. The church, the ecclesia, his people, it was his idea from the beginning. It's not some plan B. It's not something he thought up, oh, well, Israel messed it up, so I'll do this thing called the church. It was always his intention to deliver Messiah, deliver salvation through his people, Israel. But that salvation would not only be for Israel, it would be for the whole world. They would be the people who would bring that. But us, the non-Jews, the Gentiles, were always in God's mind as well. And look how Paul says it in Ephesians 3, 6-11. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was really hard for Jewish believers to grasp because for so often they had been this distinct, separate people. And Paul is now saying God's plan all along has been that the Gentiles will be fellow heirs with us. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This was always part of his plan. When God created Adam, he had the church in mind. He knew one day he would redeem mankind. And this church would be the picture of that redemption. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, Better Together, it's available right now on demand at reachingforreallife.org. And we'd also love to hear from you on our contact page, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find the Donate tab at reachingforreallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. It's Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.